Do your kids want more Mystery Kids episodes? Are you sick of the same ones playing every single day? Well, we have the perfect place for you. Head over to become a Patreon today. For $5 a month, you'll get two more bonus episodes, plus episodes that are already in Patreon. Episodes like The Deepest Hole on Earth, The Great Emu War in Australia of 1932, The Bombing of Hawaii's Volcano, The Dancing Plague, The Ohio Grassman, and some animal fact episodes about the pangolin, the ai the axolotl, and the taipan, plus much, much more. This makes a wonderful birthday present for your kids and gives you way more to talk about as a family, which is the whole point of the Mystery Kids podcast. So for $5 a month, you can get two more bonus episodes plus all the past episodes. To become a patron, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash Mystery Kids Pod and sign up today. Thank you so much for your support. On today's episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast, we'll talk about a tsunami that hit Boston, Massachusetts. But it was really sticky. Welcome to Mystery Kitch Podcast. to another episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast. We are so excited to have you here for another episode. And this one is kind of crazy. I can't believe it. I've never heard about it before. So let's dive right in. On January 15th, 1919, at around 12.30 p.m., Boston Police Patrolman Frank McManus was at a call box reporting back to headquarters when he heard a loud scraping and grinding noise. Pausing to figure out the source, he suddenly found himself overcome with shock. He managed to make out to the dispatcher. Send all available rescue vehicles and personnel immediately. There's a wave of molasses coming down Commercial Street. The wave was 2.3 million gallons, moving at 35 miles per hour, 25 feet high, and 160 feet wide at its outset, rushing through the city crowd through the densely populated north end of Boston, Massachusetts. It was a 50-foot-high steel tank holding the molasses had ruptured. People in direct path were immediately swallowed, drowned, and asphyxiated by the notoriously vicious substance. Within seconds, two city blocks were flooded. Tide of molasses literally ripped Engine 31 Firehouse from its foundation, almost sweeping the building into the Boston Harbor. The brown wave busted through windows, overturned rail cars, and flooded homes. And by sunset, 21 people were dead. 150 were injured. And the North End looked like it had been bombed. You ever heard the phrase, slow as molasses? It makes it really hard to make sense of the 1919 flood because normally molasses moves very, very slowly when it's poured out of things. So Dr. Nicole Sharp, a science communicator and an expert in fluid dynamics, said that when she heard the 35 miles per hour number, she was surprised. One of my first questions was, is that number plausible? 
Sharp decided to look into the science behind the flood, along with a team of scientists at Harvard. I found the initial wave could have moved at that speed. This flood could be broken down into two stages, with the first called the tsunami. Molasses is 1.5 times heavier than water. It is very dense. The tank piled so high with molasses stored such a large amount of potential energy. So when the tank ruptured, all that potential energy became kinetic energy. The fact that molasses is extremely viscous, which means thick or sticky consistency, didn't really matter for the first 60 to 90 seconds. The inertia is so much more powerful than the force that can be moved by the viscosity. So when the tank broke and the molasses exploded, there was no way to outrun it. When the initial wave came through, it just pulverized everything. People's bones were crushed. Their bodies were thrown into buildings and train cars. And many survivors had broken backs and fractured skulls. During the second stage of the flood, the inertia runs out as the molasses starts to spread. And that's when the viscosity starts to matter. So its thickness starts to matter. So referring to the liquid's resistance to the flow. So as molasses started flooding the streets, it slowed and it became thicker and stickier, but it was still difficult to escape. People were trapped with witnesses describing describing trying to breathe while stuck, gasping for their lives, and simultaneously trying to avoid inhaling too much. Cold weathers made things much worse. So as the temperature started to drop, the molasses got harder and harder to move, which is a problem when you're trying to shift rubble. It became very sticky and almost like cement, so they couldn't lift people out of the molasses. The firefighters had to spread ladders over the molasses to prevent themselves from falling into the sticky vats that were once the streets. This all comes from ABC News, and it's such a great article. If you'd like to take a look at it, I will have have all the resources on our website, mysterykidspodcast.com. So why did they have this tank there in the first place? This company called the U.S. Industrial Alcohol, they made this purity distilling company. So they built this tank in 1915 to keep up with the increasing demand for military weapons. So the tank stored molasses from Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the West Indies, which was brought to the distillery in East Cambridge and turned into industrial alcohol. Then companies in the U.S., England, and France bought the alcohol, which they desperately needed to make dynamite, smokeless powder, and other explosives used in World War I. The manager of the project, Arthur Gell, sidestepped a lot of safety precautions. Instead of filling the entire tank with water after it was finished to test for leaks, he only put about six inches of water. So the tank started leaking on the very first day it was created. In fact, it said that kids would actually bring jars and start filling it with molasses that was dripping down the side. And they actually painted it brown because there was molasses spilling from it and they didn't want people to notice. But it wasn't enough that they were really worried about it. They just kept going on because they made more money from selling everything and it didn't really matter about the safety of others, which we also heard in the episode about the Viant Dam. Sad when people don't put other people first or think about how their actions can affect, affect other people. 
So about seven days before the flood on a day with a low of two degrees Fahrenheit, so it was a really cold day, a new shipment dumped more than a half a million gallons of molasses into this really poorly built tank. As this warm molasses was mixed with the cold molasses that was already tank in the tank, it produced this gas. And people reported hearing the tank whining and groaning. And a week later, with a tank full, weighing 26 million pounds, the gas inside put extra pressure on the steel walls and it ruptured. It is because of this event specifically that they make really strict building codes so that nothing like this will happen again. Cleanup eventually took 87,000 man hours. The fire department pumps groaned as they removed thousands of gallons of molasses from the cellars. Workers had to use chisels, brooms, and saws to break up the hardening gunk. And the harbor water was used to flush the streets clean, and it was brown until the summer. So rescuers, sightseers, and residents carried the gooey brown residue on their clothes and boots to the other part of the city making the streetcar seats, trolley platforms, and public phones sticky. The whole city smelled of molasses. They eventually had to pay about 300000 in damages, which today would be $30 million. What a strange and a horrible story. How sad for the people that were there that day, and we're grateful for the heroes that continue to rescue those that were stuck in the molasses during those times. The Porter's Ponderings for the Sticky Molasses Tsunami. What would you have done if you would have got stuck in molasses? What else would be horrible to be stuck in today? I found some amazing books that I added to the website, which I will have linked in the show notes. I found I Survived, an I Survived book on this. I love the I Survived series. If you aren't reading those, those are fantastic. But they do have a book on the molasses flood. There's also a book called Joshua's Song, The Great Molasses Flood, and Leah Braves the Flood. So some great books that were specifically about this Boston, Massachusetts molasses flood. So again, I will have those linked on our website. Make sure you check it out at mysterykidspodcast.com. I also have a great children's um, YouTube video I found that is great to show pictures of the molasses flood and talk more about it. And thank you. If you use any of our links on our website, it automatically credits us and we appreciate it. It's a few a few pennies to put into our pocket to help create more of these podcast episodes. Our animal of the week are called peacock spiders. Um, they are called a peacock spider because they actually fan out their back like a peacock and they have many different colors. There's about 70 different kinds or species of peacock spider. They're also known as the rainbow peacock. They are teeny tiny. They are about 0.15 inches. So they are smaller than an inch. They're about the size of a grain of rice. They live for about a year. They eat flies, moss, winged ants, and grasshoppers. They live in the savannas, the grassland, the desert, and the scrub forests. And they can leap over 20 times their body size. 
Male peacock spiders have black and white hind legs with vibrant red, orange, white, cream, all blue colorations on their bodies. And the coloration comes from a microscopic scales found all over their bodies. Females lack any color. They have a plain brown color. Peacock spiders also have six to eight eyes, most of which are simple organs that just kind of tell them about movement and if they're light and dark, but their two main eyes are more powerful and they convey information in fine detail and color. These colorful spiders are only found in Australia and China. Peacock spiders do not spin webs. Instead, they are daily hunters of small insects. Their diet consists of the flies, moss, winged ants, any small insect that they can capture. And females may also eat males if they are unimpressed by the male's dances. They use their amazing vision to see their prey from yards away and pounce from long distances to deliver a fetal bite. And this ability to jump in a long distance helps them avoid predators, which includes bigger spiders. They're mostly solitary creatures, which means that they spend most of their time alone until it's mating season. And that's when the male aggressively courts the female. Peacock spiders only communicate during this mating season. Males make vibrations with their hind legs when they are picked up by sensory systems in the female legs. The females release this chemical pheromone from their abdomen, which creates a drag line, which is like that string that you would use to make a spider web. Instead, it just kind of makes this line and the males are able to follow this until they find the female. The male will start dancing and it's a quite a strange dance. I actually put a YouTube video on our website, mysterykidspodcast.com, if you want to check it out. And so he will do this strange dance where he unfolds the flat section of his abdomen and fans it out. That's why they call him the peacock um, spider is because he fans it out. And so he kind of does this dance with his like hind legs and he lifts his fan and he shakes and he does this for up to 50 minutes or until the female makes a decision. The males are very aggressive and they actually may take multiple attempts to win the female, but sometimes the female will kill him or eat him if he has not done the right dance or if he doesn't like the dance. And even after, if she's chosen a mate, she will usually eat the male and she will lay the eggs inside of the male so they can feed off the male. Yuck, that is gross. Such an interesting, interesting creature and kind of kind of a cute spider. I will I will say that there are not cute spiders in this world, but this one's actually kind of adorable in its own little way, besides that they like eat each other. And anyways, so strange. But I hope you check out the video on our website super strange. Plus I have pictures on the website as well. Don't forget to give us a rating. If you have Apple podcasts, make sure to give us a five-star review. And if you could type out some words about how you feel about those pod, this podcast, I'd really appreciate it. It helps other kids get to see this podcast, listen to it and learn all these amazing facts that you get to learn on the mystery kids podcast. On the next episode of the mystery kids podcast, we'll be talking about the first woman flight across the Atlantic. Thanks for listening.